this was an all-star week this week. We had mo- most of the recurring characters on DS9 in these two episodes. Yes, we did. It was the big finale. Uh, it was a hell of an episode. Well, so here's the thing about this, though, is that they're very different episodes. We're yeah. not going to talk about them as one because there's no reason to. But I think we do need to deal with the fact that Jedzy is dead. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to talk about it right now. I think I want to save the bulk of that conversation for when we get to the season finale. But the the one question I want to ask you before we talk about the sound of her voice, because I wanted to lead off the conversation just acknowledging the fact that, yes, Jed Zia is yes. dead, and we will talk about it. But um, did you know she was going to die? No. And I think I had accident- I had said something a couple weeks ago, like Jed Zia seems, to- Dax seems to have, the ability to die but still stay on the show built in that was just kind of me extrapolating so no i did not know she was going to die it's the kind of thing where in retrospect it's very fitting in a way especially given the episodes and kind of the season's themes of there is no victory without sacrifice kind of a thing uh it does make sense but that said was it any less affecting no okay that was that was the one question i did have because i was really not looking forward to this yeah, and I know you like Jed Z a lot. I like Jed Z a lot. Yeah, and we'll talk about it later. We'll put a we'll put a cap in this conversation right now. I just wanted to acknowledge that at the top of the show because it is a big deal. Yes, I think more so than anything else that's happened in these two episodes. Oh, certainly, and especially with the way that again TV is made now versus when it was made. This wasn't that much back then, but yeah. Um, in a way, these two episodes, I guess, to get talk about some general things. So the last two episodes of season five were in the cards, and then um, I don't remember what the very last one was called, but that was... Called Arms. Called Arms, which is when DS9 gets taken by the Dominion, and uh, and they're vowing to go back. The two of, Those two episodes and these two episodes seem to... The, the, the finales in particular, but they're kind of mirrors of each other, in that in the cards was very much a... It was fairly plotless. It was just kind of a character episode, but it was dealing with all of these characters having extremely low morale because of this war, and uh, with, the, with the community, specifically Jake's um, actions, kind of giving everybody a little boost. And just like that, um, Sound of Her Voice is almost entirely a character episode. There is mostly no plot to it. They just got to get to this other captain, and... It ends with them all realizing the degree to which the war has forced them to grow apart and may need to get back. Yeah, and I think that the the sound of her voice really does – it either works for you or it doesn't work for you. And I think what really hinges on that is whether or not you believe that these characters are in this place. And – you know, we, we've talked a lot about how, you know, this era of Star Trek in general, TNG and DS9, is from a different – version of television than yeah. is being made now. It's very different from prestige dramas that are being made now in, in theme and execution and the way it tells its stories. And so, you know, you can get away with this sort of thing about, yeah, these people are suddenly very depressed. I don't know if I completely buy it. It does seem to come a little out of nowhere. But at the same time, the show has not forgotten. I mean, th- th- this whole season hasn't dealt with the war very directly, I think, since the beginning yes, of the season. There's been and, a lot of offhand mentions. We still know what's going on, but other than a couple episodes here and there, it's largely been about there there's been more we're seeing certainly the Bajor religion plots and the war plot being very intricately linked in this episode. Uh, um 
we've I, I think this ep- this season has advanced the Bajoran spirituality stuff a little more, giving the uh mythology of this devil figure that possesses mm-hmm. uh you know and all of that. But yeah, it, there have there hasn't been that much about what the war is. And I mean in this one of the things I like about this episode is you know Cisco laying out to somebody who knows nothing of the entire situation uh it becomes extraordinarily bleak to her, especially yeah. when you when you put it all right there, when you just stop and think about it and you have kind of six days to stew about it, uh, yeah, certainly it's going to feel more. Maybe in this episode they are feeling it a little more strongly than they had been, but at the same point it is true that everybody well, is dealing with their own shit. And I, Yeah, I think that's true, and I also think that it works for Bashir, I think, because Bashir has mm. definitely been much more dour, I think, this season than he ever has been before. And for me, I think what makes the sound of her voice work is that the show hasn't really dealt with the war directly in a while. I mean, certainly, like you said, they are seeding it through the show. The show has not forgotten that the war is happening. But I think in a certain sense, where their malaise is coming from is really a, a place of we are not on the front lines. We're holding down DS9. We're holding down the fort. We're not out there actually doing much. And we're watching these casualty reports come in. We're watching all of our you know, comrades and people we went to the academy with and yeah, friends yeah. get injured and die. And we're not really doing anything about it. And I think that that's kind of the... the um, that's really the context for the sound of her voice. Yeah. In the next episode, they, I think, make it a little more clear what's been going on that they're... The Federation and the Romulans, for that matter, and everybody is just kind of defending themselves against the Romulans seem to have the view that we can win this war of attrition if we just stay stubborn and eventually they'll run out of troops. And nobody should ever listen to the Romulans about anything because they don't know what they're doing. Well, well, let's be honest. There is a reason the Romulans are a vestigial empire at this point. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Federation's strategy has seemed to be this defensive war, and I mean, even the fact, yeah, there, there's no goal. Neither side really knows what the what winning is going to look like, and so yeah, it's just a they're sitting and waiting, and nothing's happening. I think. Well, I think even to the point that I, I, I do think it's very key that the Defiant has not played a larger role in the war because TNG essentially was a show about one ship that was Mm. making a difference and DS9 is not that show this war is not going to be won by one ship the Defi- you know if this was a if this was a TNG war the enterprise would have stopped the war yeah. in two two episodes and so it, it you know the whole episode starts out with them on this weird mission and then they get called off and they can just go fuck around for 6 days or 12 days really because it's 6 days there and 6 yeah. days back and if the defiant was integral to the war in the same way that the enterprise would have been integral to the war if it had happened in TNG there's yeah. no way they could have done that yeah yeah so that even the, the i think that's another sense of where their malaise is coming from where their sense of not inferiority but but their sense of of helplessness is coming from yeah. powerlessness is coming from because they can't really do much they get sent on missions by starfleet command but and they're usually successful but they're not changing the tide of the war in any way and so when they get this distress call and they can go off and, and, and rescue her and take tw- almost two weeks to do so, it it feels like that's the way that they're trying to exercise some sort of agency in this situation. Yeah, it's a very concrete action they can take. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a completely successful episode. I think that 
it it is weirdly plotless in a way. I don't. I mean, I like the performance of the woman who plays Lisa Cusack yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, end up liking her a lot. She's very, you know she's acerbic. She's funny. She's also. I mean, she's maybe a little too insightful sometimes but there is yeah a, there well is... there's there's enough in the episode that you do know that something weird's going on and i didn't know if it would be revealed that she was an ai or she was evil or she you know some there, i thought that that's what they were and maybe i i wonder if the having her be as insightful as she is is kind of a like a, is a bit of a red herring that you know Causes you to, oh, is there something more going on? No, it just turns out she is a very, you know. She's an insightful woman. She's yeah. in her 50s. She's seen a lot of life. She's a captain in Starfleet. One of the reasons she probably feels so kind of resentful towards counselors may be because, well, they I, I have just as good, if not better, insight into human nature than they do. And I don't, you know, make a big deal out of it. Right. right. <laughs> that, that seems almost like the kind of attitude she would have. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that that's why, I mean, it's a very Star Trek ending because I'm talking about the themes of the episode because, you know, they, they the twist ending is that she's dead and she's been dead for three years. Yeah, because this, fuck you. Right. There's like this weird energy barrier and it may, you know, time travel shenanigans and whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, and so it is poignant that they get there and the entire time there was nothing they ever could have done because she actually was dead for three years. And I do like that they made it three years and not a smaller amount of time because they make it's making it very clear that, no, there was no way that they could have right. ever helped. Now, why they didn't check their data banks and find out exactly when the ship disappeared. Yeah, I don't exactly. know, but you know, no. that's that that you need that for the episode to work. So it doesn't bother me that much. But yeah, I was worried they were going to not make it by a matter of minutes and that would have just been sadistic. But but I yeah, I, I think so. But I think what I'm getting at is is the fact that it, the entire episode, again, is about the sense of powerlessness, the sense that they can't really do much to win the war that are on the sidelines. They make this decision to go rescue this one woman. This is really important to them. It's not not because it's not because she's important necessarily, but because the symbolism of it. We don't leave anybody behind. Yes. This is something that we can do. And, of course, they get there, and there's nothing they could have done because she's been dead for three years. It's, you know, the rug is pulled out from them. But And, and so that kind of ties into how they've been feeling all throughout the war. They still can't do anything. They st- and, and they really could not have done anything. She's been dead for three years. Mm-hmm. But then what you get is instead of that furthering their their feelings of of powerlessness that emboldens them to realize that they need to rely on each other more. They need to reconnect. They need to, you know, reestablish their friendships and relationships. And I think that is very Star Trek. Yeah. What happened to Lisa Cusack was an extremely unfortunate accident. And, you know, it's very sad that this, you know, very vibrant and talented person died in an accident, but at, at least, she didn't die completely alone. She was able right. to have a few days where she could talk to people and affect people and have a positive view. And again, they, they she at least gets awake and people remembering what they knew of her even in the few days. And that's something. Right, exactly. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it uh, that they end it with an Irish wake is, a, is tonally the perfect thing because it's – you know, again, that mixture of sad but celebration of life and friendship and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very true to. I mean, my background is Irish. I've been to mm-hmm. Irish wakes. They are like that. You know, you yeah. people get drunk and we once had a the funeral director come into the the room and say, you know, please quiet down. You're bothering the other rooms. But that's the way to do <laughs> it. It's exactly it. Yeah, you want people laughing and having a good time at your funeral. 
Now, now of course, the Italian side is all loud crying and mourning, and, and it's great in its own way. Well, I think that, you know, and, and again, I mean, I don't want to harp on the end of the episode too much, but but obviously the foreshadowing is there. Now, Terry yes. Farrell was not in this episode very much. She was only in the end of it. And Which that, makes sense because she and Morf are not allowed to be on a mission together. Well, yeah, but well, yeah, but also she was given time off to um, to, to do uh, auditions. OK, that's why she wasn't. She in the knew episode. that she was. Oh, yeah, I'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get into it. OK, when we talk yeah, yeah, about yeah, the yeah, next yeah. episode because it's really sad, actually. But um she did not want to leave the show. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's where it really comes down to is that you've got this foreshadowing at the end. You know, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll all be together again at some point when one of our one of these people yeah. leave the circle. And that's obviously foreshadowing of Jadzia's death. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily want to talk a lot about the actual context or the actual information that goes on in their conversations because – I don't know that it really seems that important. It's stuff that we know. We know that Miles is somebody who has been very stoic for everybody. He's mm-hmm. not the kind of person who likes to talk about his problems. And yes, he is going to have, you know, based on the fact that he worked very closely with Deanna Troy for years, you know, he has a warm feeling towards certain counselors, yes, but at the same time, he didn't really visit her every week in the same way that Picard did, for example. He... he May have had a we- he may have felt a little weird about the fact that she's on the bridge, but whatever. Um, and and yet he does need to. He he is a person who is keeping it all in, and that's hurting him. He yeah, does, he does. As as you know, Lisa Cusack saying, "Well, you can't talk to your wife, you can't talk to your friends, and you don't want to talk to a counselor." But by opening up to her in that way, because she does, you know, she refuses to not let him open up. Uh, because that's all she's doing, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I like that just out of boredom and desperation and wanting to distract herself, she refuses to let any of the other characters go through the bullshit that they're letting each other get away with, you know? Bashir is feeling very, I don't want to deal with this, and, and Miles is as well, so the two of them are both going to be isolated in their pain. Uh, well, and I think it's actually a really smart choice because, you know, I think yeah. it, it speaks to to the strength of the writing as well because Bashir and, and O'Brien haven't been yeah. palling around as much, or at least we haven't seen it. And, you know, Keiko was gone for, for most of this year. You know, she went away with their children when the Dominion looked like they were going to take over Deep Space Nine. She did not come back for a long time because why would you? They're on yeah. the front lines of a war. Like, they don't want to put their children yeah. in that situation. Um, but then, you know, she comes back. And, and so the whole season really has been we've seen them a couple of times doing stuff. But it's not like the old days where they're in quarks playing darts all the yeah. time. Everyone is sort of like starting to to separate a little bit. Yeah. And, I think- and well, especially with uh, Bashir and... Miles had their friendship largely out of Miles being very lonely because his you know wife and kid weren't around, but and now in a way in his mind in both their minds, uh, well Keiko and the kids are back, so there's no real space to for me. Even though they kind of had that lesson already, right now now there's another baby and they are just busier. So well, and I also think subconsciously, uh, you know, I would not discount the possibility that that people around. Bashir feeling a little strange towards him because now his secret is out in the open. And so, and whether he's actually feeling that or he's worried they're feeling, you know, is almost irrelevant, but yeah, 
he's feeling a little apart from everyone. Yeah, yeah. And I think it even shows when he's not really connecting with with Captain Cusack as well. You know, he's doing his work and not really listening to her. And, you know, I do like that little scene where she pretends to get eaten and picked over (laughs) by a monster. (laughs) You know, but I think it really does speak to the fundamental humanity of of Bashir and Cusack and everybody in, in in the show that he realizes he's being a little bit of an ass and, and really does pay attention and focus on her after that. Yeah. She kind of, by, by virtue of being a little outside of everybody and in a life or death situation, she kind of has the right to be a little blunter than anybody else is. She has no reason to spare anybody's feelings right. in a way. And so she knows that he's being an ass and can call him on that. And, and we only, uh, and we only really see Bashir O'Brien and Cisco talking to her, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't see Worf talk to her. We don't see, um, well, Kara wasn't there. Jadzia wasn't there. Odo wasn't there. Yeah. There's the implication that she had a rotation with a few people, but then, you know, those three in particular managed to click with her. And, yeah. You know, and we're also, you know, we don't see her going to sleep at any point, but we right. assume that she has. Well, she did say she was having trouble sleeping. Yeah. So maybe she was awake for six days. I don't know. Yeah. I hope not. You know, the, the, impl- yeah, the sense I got from that is she wanted to be talked to sleep and, you know, probably she, hopefully she did get a little rest. Yeah. But. Now, what, what do you make about, uh, uh, this sort of, I don't, I don't want to call it a manufactured problem but it kind of seems like one where cisco is not happy with cassidy because she's on the ship and their worlds are colliding it's kind of like i don't know i mean yeah i mean it's it's like i think i it says a lot about the federation and starfleet that cassidy yates who had done time for being a traitor is now in a position of some authority volunteering and working. Yeah. I mean, she's not working for Starfleet. She's working with them for, you know, on an, on an assignment basis. But meanwhile, you get convicted for a drug offense in America and you can never vote again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like it's again, they recognize that that was a one time thing and that she is never going to do anything bad and that she's going to. Well, you serve your time and, then, yeah. you know, and maybe, sh- they're, maybe they're watching her a little more closely, but they're not. You know, you serve your time and you're forgiven and that's fine. And frankly, this isn't something that's, you know, remotely Maquis related. No, They they know that hers was situational rather than, you know, wanting to destroy the Federation. Well, this is one of those one of those things where I think it really would have been helped if she had been able to be in the show a little more this season. Because she was only in, I think, two episodes this entire season. One of them being Far Beyond Beyond the Stars, stars, which doesn't really count. Right. And and of course, you know, I said in that episode that that was because I think she was a regular on the Larry Sanders show. Okay. Yeah. So she was kind of, you know, couldn't really make the time to, to guest star a lot. And so I think that we don't really have a good sense of where their relationship is at this point. And and part of that, I think, does lead to where they're at, maybe in this episode. They are all yeah. kind of just even even Cisco and his girlfriend are having trouble connecting and for weird reasons. Um, I guess I guess that's that. I mean, Cisco's previous wife, Cisco's wife, you know, Jennifer did work uh, was on the ship. And right. You, that, get, that you know, too. I feel like maybe with her was she was she in Starfleet or I don't believe so. OK. No. Um, but he was serving on a ship that you could have families. Yes. So if, um, yeah, I think that she was just living there with their son. But either way, for him, that was uh, he was able to uh, work with it. You know, have his wife on the ship. And again, Cassidy Yates is a different person, especially yeah. because you know, I mean, Cassidy Yates just got off of a mission that was you know 
doing. And and so she may be a little more antsy than Jennifer was. Jennifer did have her life on that ship and right. had her routine. And, you know, ju- just as Keiko in the early seasons of DS9 was really at loose ends because she didn't know, Cassidy in this episode is probably like, I'm just kind of here. I don't really have anything to do. And so she might be latching onto Cisco yeah. a little more. Yeah. And I also think, too, that that it's never anything that's said in the episode. But, of course, there are shades of... And this is why it's so great to have all this, you know, rich characterization in a show that's developing over yeah. these years. Is that, you know, Cisco has really gotten over Jennifer's death. and But at the same time, there could be a part of him that's uncomfortable having Cassidy on the ship because... yeah of what happened to Jennifer. You know, it's happened once before it could happen again. And so he doesn't want to lose her. I think that there's also a lot of stuff going on with, with Cisco and the, the emissary stuff and the prophets, of course. And we'll talk about that when we talk yeah. about tears of the prophets as well. But there's a lot of, you know, stuff going on with Cisco. He's under a lot of stress right now. So yeah. it's understandable, I think. No. Yeah. I, I, again, we understand why all of these characters are in not the best place that they've ever been, why they're upset while they're having. And, we understand why they're having trouble connecting with each other, but at the end of the episode, they are left remembering why, it, you know, that their that their social network is there for a reason, right. that they've made these friendships in order to draw support from them, and rather than try, you know, and all of that, again, very Star Trek, very, you know, everybody's coming together in community, and kind of a nice thing, a nice moment before the end. Right. And, you know, and the other, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the the station-based storyline as well. Yeah. Because it does, you know, I was kind of wondering, like, I didn't remember that very much, actually. I Uh, I kind of always forget that that B-plot is in this episode. But uh, it it does strike me, because I'm kind of like, where is this going? And then, of course, at the end of it, where it goes is, even Odo and Quark connect a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that's nice, I guess. (laughs) I mean, Odo Odo lets him smuggle his Denifin crystals, which who the hell knows what they do. Yeah. Blow up things. I don't know. Uh, uh. But it's, yeah, I don't, I mean, there's not a lot to say about that. It's it's really based on the characterization that they've built over the past six years, and it works fine. Uh, Odo and Kira are still apparently a thing. They make a handsome couple. Why they're going to Paris, I don't know, when neither of them are human and have no connection to Earth whatsoever. Nah, but, you know, as Quark says, you know... 20th century humans had some nice romance going on so but still like i don't get it that yeah. that kind of stuff is always like that can they just have like a bajor like city that they could go to instead i mean i don't know it strikes me as strange it does but you know these kind of things bother me richard well they don't bother me so there we go and jake uh, is getting into nefarious activities I don't know if he's getting into nefarious activities, but he definitely is uh, not making the best choices, let's say. Well, it's not. But again, there's always that kind of thing where how serious a criminal is Quark. Exactly. I mean, he he tried to be a serious criminal, you know, a couple seasons ago, and it didn't really work out for him very well because he has a conscience. Yeah. I mean, I I, I get the sense that a lot of this can be maybe these Denifin crystals don't so much do anything that bad as it is there's a very high tax on them uh, you know import tariff and so you know this guy's going to smuggle them and you know make some money that way i mean it could be as simple as that yeah it could be i think that's all we have to say about this episode because i'm really excited to get to the next one yeah Tears of the Prophets. Which had everybody, including big goddamn Fontaine in it. Like, during the credits, I'm like, oh my god, you know, we got Martok, we got Dukat, we got Garrick, we got, you know. Damar, Wayun. 
I mean, Garrick really only just says a couple of lines. He doesn't do – but this is – again, this is very much the all-star finale in a lot of ways. Yeah, this is a very stuffed season finale. Yeah. And it also – I mean, well, you know, it also ends in a very bad place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this – I think it's a hard episode to get into because – well, let's just talk about Jadzia. So – Yeah. Uh, what is going on here? It, just to give you the context, this was a mystery for a long time. And essentially what happened is that I think this is something that was true for TNG, DS9, and Voyager, is that all of the actors signed six-year contracts, which I I don't know why. Okay. Because they've all gone seven years. So at the end of the sixth, you know, towards the end of the sixth season, they all had to re-up their contract for another year. And Terry Farrell apparently was was tired. You know, she you know she's working a lot there's nine yeah. cast members on the show she was fifth on the call sheet she, she says she had to get there you know six in the morning and you know a lot of times she didn't have much to do and she wanted to uh, uh uh do other stuff as well she was trying to you know she was a regular on becker after this which, okay hey good decision i guess because <laughs> she got fired what from is that becker? show oh god becker was at dan uh dan um what the fuck is his name um the guy from cheers ted danson uh one of his oh. sitcoms in the 90s on cbs so essentially what happened is that um and this came out years later no one really knew why she she left the show yeah no one was expecting it especially this late in the show's run and essentially what happened is that she wanted to be a recurring cast member she wanted to come back for you know 12 episodes or something okay. and kind of pop in here and there and rick berman essentially said no he hmm. he said you sign as a series regular for another year or you leave the show and oh. we haven't talked a lot about Rick Berman, and I don't want to talk a lot about Rick Berman in this episode. We will talk a lot more about Rick Berman towards the end of Voyager and especially Enterprise because he started to get more creatively involved, I, I think, to to those shows' detriment. But the the fact of the matter is Terry Farrell uh, uh, was really shortchanged. and. Yeah. She didn't talk to anyone else about this, apparently, when Rick Berman was like, no, like you, you, you yeah. either leave the show or you sign, resign. Um, and and she apparently ran into Iris Stephen Bear years later, like in 2011 or something, and, and recounted this story to him. And he was shocked and really upset yeah. because he basically said, of course, we would have let you do that. We didn't huh. want to kill you. I, I assumed it was similar to how you know when Denise Crosby decided to leave the show and they you know wanted to kill off the character to make a you know bold shocking statement of it except done better this time or that maybe that was the plan that they had had and I, I, I no it wasn't a plan and, and Iris Stephen Bear has gone on the record saying that he did not want to kill Jenzia yeah and but really how can you get her off the show without killing her because I, she's not going to get reposted she's married to Worf she doesn't you know I mean like yeah. you'd have to have Worf leave the show I mean I'm sure there probably could have been some way to do it without killing her and but again making her a recurrer where she you know there's just plenty of episodes where she's just you know, we you you can do it in such a way that you wouldn't even question it, or you know, oh, she's on trill dealing with stuff. Right or, now, that said, I think that it is a shame that she left the show, and yeah. under these circumstances, I think it's a shame that you know she never went to Iris Stephen Bear or someone else that was yeah. in a position of power and said, "Hey, Rick Berman said this, but you know, what do you think about it?" Because you know, Iris Stephen Bear was an executive producer on the show and, yeah. and the showrunner. And he said he would have done it. So it's one of those great, you know, what ifs. But I also don't really like the way that they kill her. I think that, I mean, yes, it's all very poignant. 
the Worf and Dax have decided to have a baby. Yeah. The treatments are going well. You know, she goes to the temple because Kira said a prayer for her and she feels like she needs to honor that. Yeah. And then here beams in possessed Dukat by a Paul Wraith and just murders her outright. And it always just kind of feels, I don't know. Like, it's I'm, not. I feel like the moment that Gold Dukat gets possessed. Now, I don't know if the show has jumped the shark or not, but I feel like that would be a moment that people would point to. It, I will just say that it is a problematic development and leave it at that. It's, you know, we've been talking about this show a lot of times is at its best when it's not really a science fiction show. I mean, even, again, the last episode, Sound of a Voice, depends on a science fiction twist to, but doesn't necessarily have to and could... I, I, I that that was much more about the characterization right here, especially with this plot is total sci-fi and a little hokier than I think the show has earned. Well, it's not even sci-fi. It's it's just straight yeah, up guess, like mysticism, fantasy yeah, crap. Fair. You know, I, I don't know. And now we, well, we guess, the show has established that paw wraiths can live inside things and can possess, sure. you know, and fine. But well, I want to talk more about the paw wraiths, but I, I don't want to give Gen Z a short shrift. No. So. I guess my final question for you before we move on to talking about the Paw Wraiths is, are you okay? Not really. Um, I know you like Jetsy a lot. I like Jetsy. I was really dreading this. Very much. I knew this was coming, and I was just like, oh, God. Now, I, I mean, it hit about as hard as it should hit. At, at the very end with, um, I mean, what really broke my heart was, you know, Worf, you know, giving that cry and singing at, Especially because yeah, from all the way back, they established that in like the first season of TNG. That's it. We know exactly what 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 that means. That a war, it's signaling the gods that a tough warrior is going to come, and that you know. And we've heard this so many times because the Klingons have been so well established. I guess the full import of that ritual hits home for her, and yeah. you know the fact that it is a such a beloved character is, I don't know, like. It seemed I, I I'm surprised to hear that there was so much of a problem with you know behind it because it did seem so. It, again, it, it it really hits the theme that there you know in victory there have to be made sacrifices. You know, if a minor character died, that wouldn't m- matter. But the fact that it's one of my favorite characters really hit that. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and also the fact that she dies in such a weird and sort of frankly, you know, unimpressive way as well. Yeah, it's, it's really just kind of like I mean, it was it was an accident essentially. Ducat didn't even really want to kill her. He didn't mean to kill anybody. So you're just kind of like, okay, then. But I think I mean, yeah, and and you could also I mean, obviously the 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 scene where Cisco is talking to Jadzia's, um, yeah, you know, coffin is is very moving, and he's talking about, you know, how Curzon Dax was his mentor, but Jadzia Dax was really his friend, yeah, and 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 also that this is really, I mean, I think either way, if they had just if they had come up with some sort of way to keep Terry Farrell on the show. I think either way it would have ended with him in that alley behind his father's restaurant. I think cleaning clams or something. Oh, no, potatoes. Scrubbing potatoes. They didn't sound like potatoes. They he was sa- scrubbing potatoes. They didn't sound like potatoes. I am a cook for a living. I could tell. The Why did they sound like a rocks? And a, la- a clam because it was that was the Foley guy. That was I don't know. I think they were clams. Uh, is that? You know, he still would have ended up in that place. He is in a bad situation right now. He yeah. made a decision to not defy the prophets, but not listen to them, and things ended very badly. The prophets are now apparently gone. Um, Jadzia is dead because of this, and 
he does not want to have anything to do with any of this. Yeah. You know, he took his baseball. And, you know, what is this going to mean? We'll see. Well, part of me – see, I don't know where – what the next developments are going to be. Um, as far as the war goes... There's a musical episode. Oh, good. Um, as far as the war goes, this is this seems like the equivalent of VE Day. They still have to have VJ Day, but, you know, it's a major, major turning point in the war. Um, but I don't know what the last leg of the war is going to be in this case. Um, as far as Dax goes, I mean, Dax is getting a new host. I don't know if that new host is going to be a main cast member or not for this last season, but we are going to definitely meet that host, I assume, and I would be surprised if the next episode doesn't have this new host coming to Earth and, you know, coming up upon Cisco in the alley, because um, the, you know, Curzon was Cisco's mentor, he was much older than Cisco right, was, right. much more experienced, Um Cisco and Jadzia were closer in age and experience, and the two of them over the course of the series are both coming into their own in yeah. terms of their career and their yeah. personalities and all. But now, I mean, now is the time for Cisco to be the new Dax's mentor in a way. Yeah. I mean, I I would – if if I were writing the show, that's kind of where give, give – this new host be a very green person who, you know, even though Dax has all of this experience, uh, the host doesn't. And that's Cisco's next relationship with this person. Yeah. And I, I don't do this often, but I, I, I will tell you, um, the, the new Dax host is a main character on okay. the show next season. And, and I'm not, you know, cause it, it happens like next episode. I or, figure that or they do episodes. that very clearly. So next week we'll already meet, uh, meet him or her. Okay. Um, but I, I think that the thing is about that is really that, um, it, it, it follows up on the reckoning in a real way because if Kai Wynn had not made the decision yeah. to stop that battle, the Paw Wraith would not have been available for Dukat to have inhabit him. Well, is and that we the same Paw Wraith as the, the evil I one? Because think it's, it's a, supposed to be. I feel like thematically, yes, but given that it's a different artifact, I don't know, but. They could have split. I mean, I don't know what. Yeah. I don't know what Wormhole and Slash Profits can do. Maybe they can split into multiple parts. Uh, maybe that. I feel like that might be a failing in the show that we have no idea what's happening exactly. <laughs> I, I will just say that the Paw Wraith plotline is not my favorite part of the show. I can see that it was again. It, that's something we very much got diminishing returns on. They were amazing in that Keiko episode. In the reckoning, they were okay, and now it's just. I mean, it is a, it is an interesting development for Ducat to to really yeah. double down on, on on his psychosis and really um, decide to study Bajoran uh, mysticism and study the Bajoran yeah. religion extensively and find out about the Paul race, find out where to get one, and we don't know what he did, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he obviously did something to the orb that was there. I think yeah, it was the, the orb of contemplation. Uh, we don't know what he did. It doesn't look good. Mm. He doesn't look like the orb is still alive or whatever. Yeah, and but obviously it shut down the wormhole. The wormhole is now gone, or at least closed, and nobody can open it. Maybe the Paw Wraith is in the Celestial Temple trying to slaughter the wormhole aliens now. Right, maybe that's how he got in there. Yeah, we don't know. But that's really the thing is that, I mean, this these are questions that will be answered at some point. But it is really, I think... I don't know if it's a problem that 
Kai Wynn is not really brought. No one mentions the fact that she stopped this in this episode. It's kind of like it's too stuffed for that. Yeah. But she and, I think she is responsible for this and she is responsible for cutting Bajor off from their gods. We don't know what the implications of that are going to be. And obviously it is a big loss for the yeah. Federation but it, and the Bajorans, but it's also a big loss for the Dominion because yeah. they thought that they were going to get all their re- reinforcements and instead the wormhole got closed. In terms of the war, frankly, this is the best situation for the, the Federation because now the you – know, this does a more permanent version of what mining the wormhole did in a way uh, – the Dominion can't get any more reinforcements again. They and they've got in Cardassia, so now it's a matter of mopping up the remaining weapons bases and shipyards and all of those things until the Dominion finally either is surrendered or wiped out. Yeah, and I mean, let, you know, let's be clear: there's still a lot of work ahead of them. Yeah, they're not going to win the war next episode or anything like that. But this is the war tipping. This is the tide turning heavily in the Federation's favor. Yeah, yeah. This is the point when the Federation say, "All right, we might win this." Now, the one, I mean, this is really a story about Cisco's personal journey in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And I think the the turning point in this episode is really when Admiral Ross yeah. puts that ultimatum on him and, and asks him, okay, look, you need to either be the emissary or you need to be a Starfleet captain. And, you know, this is something that Cisco has been grappling with for, for yeah. the entire run of the show. He's getting more and more comfortable with it. I don't think it's incidental or accidental that the episode starts out with him walking around going, Peldar, joy, yeah. everyone, you know, this is great. Um, and he makes, I mean, let's be clear. I think he does make the wrong choice here. Mm. You know, he doesn't listen to the prophets. Now, of course, Kai Wynn made a bad choice in the reckoning as well, which probably put these events into motion or at least made them possible. And also but, the prophets could be a little clearer. They could be, yeah, but and I think that they've become more clear as they've gotten more, yes. you know, uh, experience with you know corporeal beings. But at the other side of it, of course, is that I think why Cisco leaves at the end of the episode and why everyone he takes his baseball—that's a big sign. That's yeah. always been a big sign in the show, um, big signifier of whether or not he thinks he's coming back. Yeah. Again, that's why one of the big parallels I see between this and the finale, like they make a five, they make a big point. Oh, the baseball is still here, and you know, right. oh, the baseball is gone. They end in, you know, Cisco has left uh, Deep Space Nine in the in the fifth season finale as a, but I'm going to return it, which he does does over the first arc of season six. But now he's gone to lick his wounds with his tail between his legs as a failure, right? And I think that it's really sad because the prophets don't directly speak to anyone like that very often. Yeah, I mean, this is like maybe the first time I've ever seen that happen or the second time we've ever seen that happen outside of the wormhole. And so for them to go to Cisco and tell him this yeah. and for him to ignore them, that's a big deal and he's going to have to deal with that. Well, one of the things I'm taking from this, a bit in the original series but really in TNG, is this uh, conflict between Starfleet and the personal life. In other words, uh, going with that typical theme of Picard could have had a family but instead he chose a captaincy and – you know, you have to make certain sacrifices in that for, for the life of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, Ben is being asked to make the choice between Starfleet and the Bajoran religion. In a way, he's, which is now his religion. Yes, you know, so he's trying to make a. He has to make a choice between the worldly things and the religious things in a lot of ways, which is a much more. Uh, I don't know. It's a, in a way, a deeper, I guess, quest than Picard went on. Well, it's very abstract, certainly. Yeah. 
but it also does have real world implications and we can't forget that and i think that you know the scene in on on the bridge of the defiant Mm -hmm. when he loses his connection to the prophets or whatever happens yeah that and he has to lose his captaincy temporarily because of how ill he is yeah and also let's not forget that this entire episode starts with him getting the christopher pike medal of honor yeah which you know that i mean that's not incidental as well this episode is very well constructed and does foreshadow Mm. a lot of things and that really is, you know, indicative of and important because that says, "Hey, he's a really good captain. Oh, he's yeah, he's a good Starfleet officer. He he's also the, he's also like a really good emissary." <laughs> well, yeah, but 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 uh, but always, I mean, and this season has been about those conflicts between, you know, duty and per- the personal again with Worf and Dax when she was seriously hurt and Worf decides to go you know leave right. the mission for that i mean Worf himself has had to choose between klingon and starfleet a lot of and ben has thought he could walk the line thought he could be uh perfectly devoted to his religion uh while at the same time perfectly de- devoted to starfleet this is the first time that it is a conflict that he can't choose between and the fact that he chooses starfleet is i don't know he is a starfleet officer that what is what he made the first commitment to and he has to he has to make that come first, but at the same time, he sees the problems that come from it. You know, and I do think, I mean, I, I do think it's a little bit of a manufactured problem. Of I'm not going to lie. I, I, I think that there's a way, Starfleet is just uncomfortable with this in general. I don't think they would be uncomfortable with it if Cisco just decided to convert to the Bajoran religion. They're uncomfortable with it because he's yes. essentially Jesus. And that puts them in a very untenable position let's say mm. or an uncomfortable position and well, so well, I, there, there is the fact that he, i mean he does have authority over bejor and they do kind well be, i mean he be, does yeah he doesn't he doesn't but what the emissary says people some people will follow that and you do feel that the federation wants bejor to make its choice whether or not to join the federation of its own free will uh i mean that's almost the prime directive kind of stuff they don't want to make it because one of their officers happens to be their religious leader and so of course they're going you know you know well, that's, that's almost forcing let's the not, issue let's not forget though that he told them not to join the federation yeah exactly so you know i i do think that i mean admiral ross obviously has always been uncomfortable with this and we don't mm-hmm. see admiral ross a lot but we kind of get a sense of who he is very quickly because the actor who plays him is very good oh yeah but really what it comes down to i think is that this was a bad decision on a lot of levels it was a bad decision of cisco to to defy the prophets and not listen to them and go off and, and join the battle of Chintaka. It was also a bad choice for Admiral Ross to make this the moment that, that um, he was going to make this ultimatum because the prophets don't speak to people directly very often. And when they do, it's we've seen it's usually in, incredibly important. Of course. And so why now? But that, that's really, I mean, yes, I understand why now, because you need this to have the episode happen and to set the events in motion that are going to carry the show to its series finale. Yeah, but, this is D-Day that's going to happen. They need to, you know, he, he needs his officer making this decision. He needs to know the full commitment. But at the same time, you know, Admiral Ross seems to think that he's not going to be able to devote, if he decides to stay behind, that's going to be some sort of like important turning point. And as it turns out, Cisco has to leave the bridge anyway. Yeah. So he's not he's not in charge of, of the Defiant for most of the battle. I think it is uh, a mistake on the Admiral's part, sure, to make this the particular moment. And that that said, I underst- I think I understand why he chooses this moment to make it. Because, again, this is a very—you're you, not going to be part of the invasion that you planned because you had a vision that your god told you not to is really where it's coming from for Admiral Ross. He's not obviously a religious man himself, and so— yeah, we don't see reli- – I mean, there's no indication that 
anyone yeah. on Earth is religious anymore, which, you know, frankly seems a little unrealistic, but that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, again, I can kind of understand it from Admiral Ross's point of view, and certainly this is not an easy decision for Cisco to make, but... Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it, that the fact that Cisco does end up leaving the bridge as a direct result is kind of one of the ironies of the episode, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, let's, um, let's talk about something that is very different from what the show has done before, and I, I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, is it the fact that we see a lot from the Damar and Wei Yun You're story? so smart, Richard. Aren't I? Yeah, this is like, I think this is the first time that we actually see this from their point of view. Yeah. Um, Damar's coming into his own a little bit. He... Legate Damar. <laughs> no, but I mean, he does seem like a much better uh, Legate than, uh, th- than Dukat was, certainly, because... I mean, from the Dominion's point of view, Damar is willing to listen, but he will also come up with certain plans, and he does seem to be making his own. It's really and also, frankly, he seems more competent than <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's you know th- that Ducat manages to convince Damar and Wei Yun in in even a tiny way he is kind of their down ends up being their downfall. I mean, they they. I love that Wei Yun immediately doesn't trust him from the moment and is just like, you know, waiting for him to leave. But just Dukat's kind of that good that he is even able to convince Wei Yun. And uh, I mean, from from the end of this episode, from Dukat's perspective, he's gotten what he's wanted. He completely broke Cisco, which for him is that's going to be the and yes, because Cisco is the main character of this storyline his presence is going to be extraordinarily important in the the, the larger plot, sure. Yeah. But from Wayun and Damar's point of view, and which is a very reasonable one, he's just one Starfleet officer. You got one Starfleet officer off his post. There, there's how many more that are going to replace him? Yeah, I think so. And and even you know even uh, further from that, I think is is that this is very different structurally from anything that the show has done before, and maybe Star Trek in general, mm. because. You know, we don't have any of our main cast members yeah. as a as a vehicle for us to get into this. Uh, it's Gold, I mean, Gold Ducat is a recurring character, sure, but he's also not. Uh, he's an, he's an antagonist. He is not one of yeah. our heroes. He's not allied with our heroes. He's not allied with our main cast members. And so, for the show to decide at this point to expand the storytelling canvas to go to Cardassia Prime and have a, a kind of behind the scenes look at yeah. what exactly our our villains are going through and what they're doing is is different yeah. and i think that it's it's an interesting choice for the show to do in this this far in its run yeah 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 um it's nice to see how the, their cat and mouse game kind of their plans go off against each other they have these weapons platforms while well, the federation figures that out but uh, the Dominion doesn't know that the Federation figured it out when they when they do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like how they destroy the fe- the weapons platforms in such a Federation way. In that you know it, it's not just firepower; it's realizing the structure of these things and, frankly, turning the enemy's own defenses literally against it. That's that that's the very a very nice way that they manage to win this battle and also it's a nice little thematic thing that uh garrick is the one who initially yeah. notices this problem oh yeah oh yeah i guess he does have that to do in this episode yeah so yeah 
It's an, and it, again, it's a nice parallel to the minefield. They are the same basic obstacle, um, and they're, the, both episodes are structured against that race against time until it's set up. What did, what did you think of the actual battle, though, in terms of, of, of how it looked? I mean, it looked really cool. Yeah, like I mean, because I think the interesting thing again that DS Nine is doing that we touched on in, in uh, Sound of Her Voice is that uh, this is not a war that's going to be won by one ship, and no. so we do see quite a few Klingon and Federation ships destroyed in this episode, yeah. and we don't see that very often. Yeah, I mean, the scene with the Jemadar suicide bombing the Klingons—I mean, that's that's a—it's it, an exciting action-packed space battle. Space battles were very well directed. Yeah, in the, in yeah. the series in general. And you're also seeing the the expansion of, of CGI, of course. They, of course, they yeah. They would not have been able to do this if they were using models. There's just no way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's a surprise that we'll see more of this. <laughs> but it's a kind of a sweet spot of CGI where it's not it's not powerful enough that they can do stuff that's overly gratuitous and ridiculous mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, over the top. But it's good enough that it looks cool and yeah. it looks like, you know, actual spaceships. So Right, right. Well, yeah, actual spaceships. We don't know what actual spaceships look like. No, I know, but, like. I mean, but, 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 but they look realistic, at least. It doesn't look like, for example, uh, I, I mean, what year was this being released? This was 98. Okay, so, I mean, one year later, uh, the... Uh, Star Wars prequels will start to be released, and our big our big criticism was that was it looked very cartoony. There wasn't any kind of physicality to that, and that certainly had a much bigger budget than this did. Now, obviously, there you know, flat surfaces, metals, and things are easier to texture, and yeah. that's what we're doing. But the space battles look really good. And if you don't know what we're talking about, and you'd like to go back and listen to that, just go to trekaboutshow.com and search for Trekabout Presents. Well, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Bashir and Quark continuing to still be secretly in love with Jadzia. So can't we be remiss for once? Like, they're making that an actual thing. Well, but she's dead now. I know, and thank God that we we can't have that anymore. Thank God. That's so mean. I know, but I really hated that. Terry Farrell, you're here. What do you think about that? I- I think it's so mean. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I think that I'm, I'm trying to be circumspect because that's what I do when we talk about DS9. I don't really tell you what's coming a lot of times, and I, I don't even give any indication that, for example, there were many opportunities for me to say, hey, Jadzia Dax dies. Never did it. Oh, but God, there's going to be a new host and there's going to be all of these love triangles, aren't there? Yeah, there are. I'm not I'm not going to. Yeah, I think that I just need to warn you that the seventh season of DS9, while it does have a lot of good stuff in it, also there's going to be drama over Worf and the new host. The the creative. Yeah, the creative. The creative choices that the writing staff is making at this point are perhaps painting them in corners that they did not expect to be (laughs) painted into. And some of it turns out to be very good, and some of it turns out to be a terrible idea. Okay. And we'll just have to wait to find out which of those it is. All right. Well, I think we did it. I was very, like I said before, I was not happy to get to this episode. I, 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 I was expecting you to cry or something i did a little bit when it happened i i i won't lie you don't have to lie uh, you know and again just that moment of 
you know, Cisco saying to, to Jake, like, okay, we're going home and having that be Earth and the fact that, you know, DS9 has been home and the fact that Cisco has said about, you know, I want to retire on Bajor, the fact that he's calling Earth and his father's restaurant home is so sad. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, obviously, as as somebody who cooks for a living, I don't think, you know, scrubbing potatoes or clams or whatever they are is a you know, undignified life, but it's a well, very, it's not, it's, 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 it's a very sad part for Cisco to be in. He's obviously cooling his heels. Yeah. But I, I think that that last scene is very evocative because it, yeah. it, it doesn't play that as some sort of, you know, beneath him thing that he's no, doing. No, no, no. It's obviously a way for him to just focus on physical labor and, and yeah. get his brain focused on something else and just really, there is one good thing that, yeah, peeling potatoes is a very meditative act, and he needs to – again, Cisco is licking his wounds right now. Mm-hmm. He's going back to his daddy and just because he's just that hurt, yeah. and you know he is very fortunate that he, his father is still around just as Jake is able to do that with Cisco whenever um, – but the show makes no pretenses that this is, a, this is Cisco at a very lonely and sad point part and that you know ultimately i know he's going to get his shit together you know in in the next couple episodes certainly but you know right now he's in a low spot yeah you just have that haunting jazz yeah well the last thing i want to mention before we wrap this episode up is memory alpha backs me up on Earth, Cisco scrubs clams at his father's restaurant, huh. deep in thought about what has happened and the uncertain future that lies ahead. Okay, then. Because the Foley guy on DS9 is good, and he would not have made potatoes sound like that. I don't think you know what potatoes really sound like. I'm Irish. Of course I do. <laughs> I eat potatoes every day. I'm eating potatoes right now. <laughs> All right, well, if you have any thoughts on any of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which also supports our other podcasts tuning in. We are wrapping up the first season of United States of Terror this week, just in two days, if you're listening to this on the day this podcast is released, Tuesday. We're talking about the United States of Terror episodes, Snow and Miracle. They were wonderful. You should listen to it. It's a good show. And if you give us $5 a month or more, you also get access to our patrons-only episodes. <gasps> there are now 12 of them because this what? is December, and this is the 12th one we've done. Really? And it's great. I can't believe it's been a year. I know. Thank you to all our loyal patrons, and please do give generously. You can check out our social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Truck About Show is our name in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. We haven't got one in a while, and we miss them. And they make us feel bad when we don't have them. And you don't want us to feel bad. We're already feeling bad enough because Jed Z is dead. And yeah. you're making it worse. Mm-hmm. So give in memory of Jed Z a Dex. Please do. All right. Next week, we're kicking off the seventh and last season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It f- feels much shorter than TNG for some reason. Yeah. I think it's just because time marches on faster and faster the older you get. And we are rapidly approaching death. Good. Which mean, by which you mean Voyager. Yes. Which will last 25 years. <gasps> We're talking about the episodes Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols. 